Welcome to the Way to Work podcast. You're listening to our Meet the Teacher at Pima JTED series. I'm your host, Greg Deanna, and today we'll go to the head of the class to provide an opportunity for you, high school students, parents, and counselors, to learn more about our instructors and programs. Today, we've entered the world of 3D animation and game design. We're here with instructor David Fuller. Mr. Fuller, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for inviting us to your classroom. My pleasure. Mr. Fuller, tell us, what do we learn in 3D animation and game design? Uh, We learn lots of things. Uh, What we do primarily is we learn how to 3D model, but there's a lot of skill sets that students can achieve. Uh, They get into uh, storyboarding, character animation, Uh, motion graphics, uh, audio mixing, texture baking. Uh, We go into game engines and and that goes into our 3D animation uh, and uh, also our game design. Uh, The uh, primary focus is that they get a final digifolio that they can have available online for prospective uh, employers. They have one at the end of the uh, first year and second year and it's a two year program. And so, what do they leave with this program in terms of certifications and skill sets? Uh, what they uh, do is uh, they definitely get um, Pima Community College credit uh, using uh, DA, I think it's DAR251 uh, in 3D modeling. And uh, they also uh, get uh, Adobe certification as a certified user in Adobe After Effects for compositing and motion graphics. And so with these skills, and you're kind of blowing us away here, with this, there's a lot that students gain in this class. Right. Where can they go from here? Uh, well, uh, they uh, pretty much, uh, you know, select a career pathway, and that could mean that they go to a technical school or uh, university. It's very important that they go into uh, certification, and then they try to get, um, you know, a prospective job that way. But it's sort of an umbrella, because if they don't go into 3D animation, they can go into... Uh, different kinds of careers. Uh, They could be a marketing artist, uh, they can uh, go into public relations or uh, doing, um, you know, web page design. And when they find out that they do 3D animation, they primarily can rewrite their job description. But uh, there are a lot of things that they can do uh, if they get into the industry. They can be a storyboard artist, head game designer, character artist, uh, user interface, artists, there's all kinds of uh, opportunities that they can do with this. But what's really cool is it doesn't have to be limited to just 3D modeling. It can go into the other parts of the industry. If they uh, go ahead and combine it with, let's say, architecture, they can start out with $80,000 a year because people want to be able to uh, have walkthroughs through um, you know, different kind of designed uh, structures or uh, buildings. They can go into biotechnology, into the medical field. Uh, at one point, uh, you know, 3D modelers can design parts of the heart that could be artificially used, as well as uh, bone printing and uh, prosthetics. In, even in the entertainment industry, as well as uh, in Raytheon, if they want to do a lot of different types of prototypes, it's amazing what you can do with this. So, yeah, a lot of opportunities, doors opening for Uh students. Um, Let's talk about that with artificial intelligence, where it's going in the world Uh and uh, virtual reality. These are new things that are are growing. So a lot of good prospects for students. Let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, Let's see. If they go into uh, artificial intelligence, uh, it's just a matter 
of uh, being able to have a computer that can um, you know, talk to you like a human being, and that's what Siri does, as well as the Google Assist programs. But if you go into 3D, um, well, let's say if you go into game design, you have artificial intelligence when you're trying to create characters that track you and they go after you. Let's say, for example, you do a Slender game, a Slender Man game, something similar to that. Uh, that character is going to appear in different places based on the scripting, and uh, it, it's going to uh, be able to have different kind of behaviors that uh, resemble a human being or you know a different kind of a character. Uh, so this is a real good um, stepping stone into uh, being able to look at what the AI capabilities are. And if you go ahead and you merge that, let's say, with virtual reality, then you're in an immersed environment. You're able to put the goggles on and feel like you're really into like an alternate or parallel universe. I mean, that's very cool. And we're seeing that this is a big industry. Uh, talk to us about some of those statistics of how fast this industry is growing and well, let's see, this last year, it made $130 billion, and it's prospected that in the year 2025, it'll be up to $300 billion. And uh, what's amazing is um, if you look at the type of uh, games that are out there, uh, if you're going into, let's say, consoles or a desktop or uh, even uh, something like the, um, I'm thinking like the, uh, the Oculus uh, VR and all that, you're looking around um, probably $80 billion. But if you go to the mobile devices, like the smartphones, then that's up to like about $125 billion. So uh, the perspective of being able to make money with this, uh, if you're working for a company or as a free agent, let's say in freelance, uh, if you uh, center uh, most of your um, activities in doing the smartphone or mobile uh, technology, then you're looking at uh, a really huge money maker. And the world's changed with uh, the delivery of games. We mentioned that uh, stores that are selling games aren't so much anymore. It's now more online or downloading right. or subscribing. Um, how does that lend itself to the lifestyle of being a game developer? Uh, well, you, you know, if you're going to be a game developer, you got to be able to also be acquainted with those games. And uh, I think the playing field is largely the internet. Uh, so you don't pretty much go into a store to buy anything. What you do is you go to a, a delivery system. It's the delivery system that's been changed. That's why it's been affecting what the postal service does and everything, because you can get online and pretty much get a lot of things, including eventually uh, 3D printing. You're gonna be able to uh, have that delivered and print that at your own 3D printer at home. So if you look at uh, what's equivalent to what Amazon does, then we're looking at something like Steam, which is something that is run by uh, Valve, and uh, that's the delivery system. So you can go ahead and pick whatever game you want to and have that downloaded and use on different types of platforms and consoles. But also conversely, the workplace is changing for gamers, if mm -hmm. I understand this correctly. Um, is it something that you can start working from home or um, does this allow a, a lifestyle where you can have variable hours? So um, tell us a little bit about more the lifestyle of game designers and what they can expect. Well, um, the lifestyle now is that you don't have to uh, be going to a physical brick and mortar place. Uh, now you can pretty much uh, work from your own home and you don't have to put uh, a lot of the, um, the finances into rental. So everything is largely networked. You can uh, work you know, all the way across the world and be able to uh, have these type of meetings so that you can uh, have all the different stakeholders 
putting forth a lot of these productions. So it, it's pretty amazing what you can uh, do uh, when you consider that you don't have to be locked into like a nine to five job. Uh, your hours are pretty much very variable and you can call it your own shots. So only trouble is if you run your own company, uh, then uh, you're gonna have like a thousand uh, clients or a thousand bosses, instead of, you know what <laughs> right, I'm saying? Right. So, so you have to look at there's a trade off there. Sure. But it does allow, uh, you know, different choices that students can make for the type of life that they want to live. So, yeah, I think eventually what's going to happen is instead of working, let's say 40 hours a week, or what a lot of us do is you're a workaholic 80 hours a week, you could primarily work anywhere from 15 to 20 hours a week and, and have a leisurely lifestyle, you know, if you do it right. Mm -hmm. uh, there are people I know that uh, they go online and they make something that would be uh, a program where they can remodel their own house and they put a very little effort except for checking on occasion to make sure everything gets transferred from digital dollars into uh, bank dollars. So I think you're gonna find that a monetary value in how we do things is gonna become more digital and less uh, on, you know, like, um, you know, hard copy cash and all that. Uh -huh. you're, you're gonna be able to move it, let's say in PayPal dollars, get moved over to bank dollars. So you have that kind of uh, adapter that works, I think that makes it uh, pretty fascinating that we're gonna be doing business very differently. And that leads me to the question, what type of students do well in this program? What personality traits do you see that students come and, and you're like this, okay, this is the right career for this student? I, I think uh, what happens is, uh, you know, they definitely want to uh, have alternatives to trying to solve problems. And, and a lot of the, uh, you know, students that come in at first, they're very, very creative, but they find that uh, it's not limited to what you're being uh, taught. They have to go in there and if something's not working right, they have to figure out what they have to do in order to make it happen. And, and I think that that's the most important thing. If uh, you go work for a particular company, they want to know whether you can uh, just go in there and if there's uh, gonna be a huge issue, you're gonna be able to solve it. And, and uh, you know, so at first uh, the students, you know, that come in, uh, they, they're really excited because they play games, but the ones that do very well, they, they want to pretty much find out the ins and outs and how they could do scripting or whatever to make it go beyond just uh, a simple game. So uh, being a creative problem solver, if those uh -huh. are your personality traits, mm -hmm. you've really got a bright future ahead of you in 3D animation and game design. Absolutely, and, and I get some students that that's all they wanna do is they wanna start hitting uh, different types of, well, you know, we're not limited just to one program. When they walk out of this whole um, course, uh, they know anywhere from nine to 12 different programs. And, and that's what happens when you're multimedia. You can't just go into graphics and say, I'm just gonna do Photoshop and Illustrator. When you're in this, you have to know how to use a movie editor uh, to be able to use compositing software as well as uh, sound and uh, be able to break something up to different formats in video and audio. And we talked about this a while ago that you teach open source software. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit more on your philosophy behind teaching students the open source software? Yeah, I've been doing this uh, close to 16 years. And uh, I started off uh, teaching Lightwave and Cinema 4D. And I had a student walk in uh, starting to use Blender. And, and that's uh, known as, as a uh, free public software. And uh, it was amazing how you can go into something like Blender and see that Tan Rosendahl, who's from the Netherlands uh, up in Stockholm, Sweden, is like the Steve Jobs of open source. 
And uh, it's incredibly high uh, performing software. And that's the software that we used uh, to win first place four times in the state of Arizona. And we also were able to go to Louisville, Kentucky and get first place gold in, in the whole country, uh, beating California and Texas. And <laughs> let's talk about that because it was a remarkable feat. Uh, you had a team, one student is deaf, yeah. and uh, he came to your program mm -hmm. um, and again, uh, partnered with another student. You took him to state, they won state, and then you took him to nationals and they won gold medals in nationals. How did that change their lives? Uh, well, um, you know, they also uh, were given um, scholarship opportunities over in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, they also got some software. But the thing that is pretty amazing is uh, now they're looking at that this is a reliable, credible uh, opportunity that they can be taken seriously with, and it's a viable career pathway. So um, <laughs> I, I think that that's something that just is, uh, you know, mind-boggling uh, that you go into this thing thinking that you're going to do competition and it ends up becoming bigger than it really is. And uh, they're excited about it. Technology is a moving target. Uh, it's something that continually changes. And that's something else about these type of students that they have to realize it changes so much that every year when we do assignments, they change too. Mm -hmm. And what is your classroom like when students walk in? I mean, I notice the lights are down low. Um, you kind of have a chill classroom. Mm -hmm. And uh, so tell us about your teaching philosophy and the environment that you set in the classroom. Uh, well, I, I put the lights down low because that's usually where it is in the industry. Uh, they want people to focus what they're doing and it doesn't feel like a classroom. It feels like a, like a studio. And, and my whole philosophy in teaching is that you have to learn what's called muscle memory. And that means you have one hand on the keyboard, the other hand on the mouse, and you instantly know the shortcut keys. So it's like you're playing an instrument. And a lot of these kids, I say, you know, this is, you're like musicians, but you're doing it for the eye instead of the ear. And uh, don't let anybody fool you otherwise, because you're doing something that is very meticulous and uh, has a lot of layers to it. So it's like you're dealing with dynamics as well as time signatures and you're doing something that is gonna really uh, be eye-catching as well as eye candy for a lot of the prospective clients and employers out there. And tell us about your own background. How did you get into the field of teaching fine arts? Uh, well, what happened was uh, I, I got my bachelor's in, uh, I think uh, it was in photography, and I was an English major, uh, but uh, Ansel Adams came to visit the University of Arizona like about 1980. And he signed a book for me called The Print. And I changed from English right over to fine arts. And the counselor said, you are crazy. You're not gonna be able to get a job doing this type of thing. And uh, so when I uh, got that, I went into Phelps Dodge Corporation as a communications assistant after I did a year stint in uh, one hour photo places. And I was, I was doing public relations, just like what you do for, for JTED, but for the copper industry. And went through a copper depression and I had uh, to uh, find another position. So I went back to school. I got a job as a medical photographer at the University Medical Center in Biomedical Communications. And uh, 
I was able to go in the operating room and do open heart surgeries or an aneurysms. I was uh, dressed like a doctor and I would go uh, to school in my scrubs and everybody thought I was an, an intern. <laughs> <laughs> but that just goes to show yeah. uh, you're studying a fine art, uh -huh. yet you're in an operating room yeah. uh, right next to a surgeon yeah. and uh, so that they can teach other surgeons how right. to save lives. Yeah, so, I yeah, I have a lot of things published in medical journals and periodicals. <laughs> but, uh, but then uh, what happened was I got my, uh, my teaching certificate. I also got my master's in education because I had a tuition waiver while I worked as a staff at the University of Arizona. So I felt like I was on scholarship. And uh, I got a job uh, teaching uh, photography and eventually uh, digital uh, video became the vogue. So I found myself doing that. I picked up uh, 3D uh, modeling and then things started to change towards uh, game, division, uh, game development. And I just started off as a fine arts uh, um, you know, teacher and I kept changing as the technology kept changing. And I'm right where I am today doing this for JTED. So you've done the path that many of your students will do. They'll start in one thing uh -huh. and then move to another and another, right. but that skill base they gained in your program can enable them to do that. That's right. So um, how much homework is involved for high school students who come to your your class? Well, by and large, we do a lot of things in the classroom, but they get so excited about that. They'll do things at home. And because it's open source, uh, they, they don't have to uh, have anything that's licensed software, which is one, one thing that's really good. And if they go into the industry, uh, if they're using free software, then uh, they don't get in trouble by using something that, you know, shouldn't belong to the company and all that. But, uh, you know, they do a lot, most of the things in the classroom. And uh, I think that's what makes it really different uh, from, you know, other kinds of assignments and everything you do because uh, they, they get really excited about it. We have the service Saturdays. We uh, start practicing uh, for our, our competitions. And uh, it, it's just something that uh, I think uh, they look at it as an incredibly creative investment and they want to be there. And do you have to have a computer at home to be able to take this class? I think it's a good idea, and a lot of them get excited because, oh, wait a minute, you're using Blender and using, um, you know, other types of software uh, that, you know, like Sculptress, and I can download this at home and do this. And, and when they get excited about it, then they want to know what kind of computers are you using, how can you be able to have it so it's uh, VR capable or augmented reality capable. So, uh, so they uh, really get more technological with it. And the one thing I always tell them is, um, you know, if you had Leonardo da Vinci, he wouldn't be caught dead with a canvas. He'd be using the flat screen, you know, right. <laughs> he'd be using a computer because he's a Renaissance sure. man. And, and that's what we do. We learn to be uh, Renaissance, uh, you know, capable because that's what you do when you're in multi, um, you know, in the multimedia industry. And how much of the class is lecture, typical classroom type work that they'd be used to at their home high school? And how much is hands-on activities? Oh, it's all, it's mainly all hands-on activities. And, uh, you, you know, what I do is, uh, if I'm trying to put together my lessons, I find something that's really exciting to me. And that transfers over uh, to uh, the students, because if I get excited about something, then they get excited about it. Right. And, and that's the one trick I learned, <laughs> is if, if I get to the point where, you know, I can't wait to do something, then that sort of becomes very contagious, and they can't wait to do it, too. Okay. And the program is free, correct? And uh, are there any other things that students might need to come to the program? Uh, well, I, I think uh, 
the, the main thing is that uh, they, they have a chance to leave a mark in the world. So JTED is giving um, them those keys to a career pathway. And, and I think, you know, just to close this, if you want to, um, all they have to do is log into PimaJTED.org under student services to register or contact one of our JTED counselors for more information. And, and that phone number would be 520-352-JTED. And uh, that's what they would do to try to get over to the next step uh, so they can complete this, um, you know, the, this opportunity. Excellent. And if a student wants to, if they're interested in coming by and checking your program out before they sign up for it, is it possible to do that? And how available are you for uh, tours and things like that? Uh, very av available. If, if they, um, you know, feel like they have to see it, then uh, they usually contact me and uh, I, I give them a time and um, that I could be available so they can come down and visit the program. And uh, if I'm too busy, I have a student that kind of walk them through it. And I think it's more important to have students do it because they're sort of like our ambassadors. Sure, sure. David, thanks for joining us today on the Way to Work podcast and Meet the Teacher series. Anything that you'd like to say in closing to your future students? Uh, I, I would just say that, uh, you know, they, they have an incredible uh, opportunity to be able to uh, see if they can be interested in doing this. And hopefully uh, they can take some of these uh, disciplines and uh, be able to uh, have it go further so that they can probably get paid for it and get a, something that's a watermark check. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know eventually these students are going to want to have houses and cars and, uh, you know, this is what it is. But at the same time, I hope that they're doing something they really enjoy. And, and that's something that's just going to be part of the payback. Excellent. Mr. Fuller, again, thank you very much for joining our podcast. To our students, parents, and counselors who are listening, we thank you as well. Also, thanks to our sound engineer, Michael Candaris here. I'm your host, Greg Deanna, and you've been listening to the Way to Work podcast. If you have additional questions or comments regarding the Way to Work podcast, contact us anytime on our website at pimajted.org. Friend and follow us, Pima JTED, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast site.